0: Welcome back to another episode of season five of the RAG podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season we're a little bit different how do you as a recruitment leader and founder maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work how do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally and how do you find time for yourself in the madness how do you find time for self-interest for hobbies and self improvement well to help you with this i'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas so i'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being so sit back relax and i hope you enjoy today's show hello and welcome to another episode of the rag podcast um on this week's episode i was joined by probably one of the most, um, well, someone I've got so much respect for. I don't even know if I can find the words to describe what this guy's going through. This was the most dramatic and emotional and heartbreaking episode I've ever recorded. Um, my guest was in tears throughout this episode. I was welling up throughout this episode and it was genuinely something that um, I, th- I felt I have wanted to share, but also been nervous to share ever since. So I was joined by Liam Thomas, Liam is the founder of Highfield Professional Solutions, a recruitment business headquartered in the South Coast, beautiful office of 45 people in between Southampton and Winchester. <clears throat> and, he, and he founded the business with his friend and his colleague, Sam, 15 years ago. Two young, fit, healthy 25-year-olds with no fear, launch a business, like almost everyone who listens to this show with grand plans of, of world domination. Um, and whilst that was going really well, I think six, seven years into the business, 2014, when they just started growing headcount, and they had their own offices, Liam's business partner, Sam was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer, having been pushed back from the GP for a series of months, it was finally diagnosed and, and everything changed on that day, as you can imagine. What followed was seven years of treatment, seven years of running the business seven years of, as Liam would say, denial, emotions that you probably wouldn't wish on anyone. And um, that culminated in Sam unfortunately passing away in September 2021. Um in this episode Liam talks about everything. He's open, he's 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 emotional, you know, there was tears, there was there was all sorts in here. First time he's mentioned it on the public domain and I'm just so grateful that he he gave me the opportunity to to talk to him about it and ask the questions. I genuinely think this is going to this will impact everyone who listens to it. We can all empathize with this and and you know, we all think these things are not going to happen to us, but they could they can. So I genuinely hope that one, you can learn from this episode, you can feel for Liam and the family and Sam, um, and you can make some some actionable choices moving forward off the back of what you pick up. You will definitely not regret listening to this one. Right. Let's get into today's episode without further ado. Liam, welcome to the Rag Podcast. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Not, not a problem. I feel like I feel like you should. I've always wanted you to be on this. I think we spoke about it a couple of years ago. You being on it, and it's never quite happened. So, finally got you in the room.
1: Got it over the line. Yeah, it's uh, the beauties of WhatsApp. It's the uh, great way of persuading things, people to do things. Do you know what I, I
0: do? I do look at it and think sometimes. Imagine we didn't need email. We just had WhatsApp. Like it's so much faster to get all the people. People just re- respond. I've got clients that'll ignore me for two weeks. I'll ping my WhatsApp, and you know that that whole dread of the the blue tick. They'll just respond. <laughs> so uh, yeah, i got you. I got you on the show via WhatsApp. That's the truth. Um, but Perfect. Liam, for those that don't know you, obviously I feel like I know you really well. But for those that don't, can you just give us a? I've done a little introduction, but please just give us the overview of you and Highfield, like the kind of elevator pitch of who you guys are?
1: So I've been in recruitment 20 years this year, mm-hmm. uh, five of which working for a corporate business and 15 working for Highfield. Okay. Uh, set it up yeah, 15 years ago, business partner Sam, uh, based near Winchester, predominantly Highfield businesses, UK and Europe, contract focused, built environment, white collar. And then we have a DataX business, which is international built environment again, but very much focused in the data center sector. So that's us in a nutshell.
0: Wicked. So you've got how many people in the business?
1: Uh, There's about 45 of us now. Uh, Sales around 20 million. Uh, Last year, I think like everyone's in recruitment, was the best year. Managed to convert, uh, I think, 38% of NFI into EBIT, which is something we're particularly proud of. and yeah this year is going really well as well so just about to close q1 and 44% up on last year's q1 so i think like everyone in the recruitment sector at the moment things are things are quite rosy
0: yeah yeah and what you you you're in your own i mean i came to your offices about 3 years ago i think 3 4 years ago um and i was like this is wicked you're still there right Is in is it southampton winchester where, whereabouts exactly yeah where?
1: we're we're kind of in the sticks between Southampton and Winchester. Uh, we'd we'd evolved from a corporate park on a, a big sort of faceless uh, uh, junction 9 of the M27, if anyone knows it. So we want something a bit different. So we're in a converted barn, got 7,500 square feet in the countryside, which is uh, yeah where we call home in the, the middle of Durley, near Winchester.
0: I loved it. I remember when I came, there was like some wicked cars in the car park. They just It just had this... Yeah, like you say out of town vibe but when you got in the office it had the pump that you could be in central London so it was wicked um so you started with with you and Sam 15 years ago can you take us back to that starting point like where did the name where's where's Highfield come from
1: well it was a name of, it was in the area where Sam actually grew up in Southampton area of Highfield and the name of our football team as well right, right. and I guess we'd always been massively into sport, both of us. And I think thinking of those, those company names is something that you can spend a bit too much time on. Yeah. And uh, Sam came up with a name and he was like, well, yeah, should we just call the business Highfield? And then it was, you know, as you probably did yourself, going on Companies House. What, uh, what version of Highfield have been taken? So uh, I'd like to say there was some groundbreaking reason behind the professional solutions. But the reality was it was an available name on Companies House at the time.
0: Love it. The, the thing is, with me, I was obsessed with having a made-up word. I just, I wanted something, because I worked for a company called Venquist, which was made up. So that was kind of, I think, depending on where you work before, you either do or don't want what you've come from. And for me, I was like, I love that made-up word. And, and honestly, I've got, probably own about 55 domains of the worst made-up word that you could ever imagine. I could sell them, um, yeah. probably make no money. Um, and I remember we'd get one and we'd be like, fuck, someone's going to get this. Let's get this, buy it now. And me and Amber would be like, look back at an and i we go. Are we just buy those <laughs> they're, <laughs> shocking. they're absolutely shocking and um, when did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur like when did you and sam tell us a story about making that decision
1: uh it was we were very young i think that was the, the problem we were both in our first real job, started with a week of each other mm. at the, the corporate business we were at before and... Did you know each other beforehand we went to college together and we were friendly, but yeah. you know, we, it was a sort of we would bump bump into each other for a drink or see each other on a night out and more to say hello to. We weren't we weren't friends, we were but knew yeah. no knew of each other. And then when we joined as a part of a graduate intake, within a week of each other, we was a as a familiar face and we yeah. kind of just paired up from then and uh, yeah, we're there for sort of four and a half five years. Brilliant business. Uh, they were private then and. Great place to learn, cut your teeth, really enjoyed working together. And they were transitioning towards uh, IPO. So yeah. obviously a lot of things changed in the business at that time. And I think we just, I took Sam out for lunch one day and uh, said, fancy doing this, mate. And he was like, yeah, all in 100%. So so
0: was, was he already thinking it or was your, were you just, a, do you think you were just compelling enough that he was like,
1: fuck it, let's do it? yeah I don't think I was particularly compelling i think uh just we, we were so- so we were you know probably twenty five uh so we had that kind of very misguided arrogance of youth. we thought we were very good at what we we did and in reality we were very good at filling jobs and pretty terrible at absolutely everything else so there was a lot of uh, a lot of overconfidence that comes with probably being twenty five and fairly successful in filling jobs but uh Yeah, it didn't take much of a pitch, to be honest. In that one lunchtime, we spoke about it, and he was, yeah, all in.
0: Well, at 25, I mean, I I didn't do it at 25. I got into recruitment at 25. You've got no real... I mean, some people do, but the majority of people have no real like responsibilities, right? You might have a girlfriend, you might be renting, you might have bought a house. Can you remember what your lives were like at that point?
1: Yeah, so we we both had uh, girlfriends at the time, uh, but yeah definitely no kids, no marriage. I think we maybe both had mortgages uh yeah, we did both. I think we had we both had mortgages and and owned like you yeah, know maybe our first places, yeah, but in reality, you know no real commitments yeah. or anything that was going to hold us down from stopping us doing something and like I think we just had the attitude of you know the worst thing that will happen is we'll completely mess it up and then. That- you know, someone will t- someone will take it. Someone will take us on. We never we never thought that would happen, but you know that was always quite a nice safety net. And when when there's not kids in the mix or yeah. anything like that, you know, I'd hate to do it now. If I'm completely honest with you, it yeah. would uh, it would terrify me. But at that stage of my life, of our lives, it was it just seemed like the natural thing to do.
0: Well, that's it. And I mean, I remember being thirty and I was in a relationship, no kids, bought my house. Same sort of. I was older than you, but still, there was no reason not to do it. I think at 25, I wish I was 25 when I did it. I think that you know yeah. cause now, 15 years later, you're going to reap the rewards of those decisions that other some people I meet are like late 30s, early 40s, and are thinking about starting now. And you're right; they've got kids, and they've got mortgages, and they've got they've got a lot of fear. I find there's a lot of fear involved. The, the older you get, you seem to be more. You know, you, you kind of can imagine the pitfalls a bit easier. You've got a bit more wisdom. Whereas when you're younger, you're like, I'll fucking
1: nail it. <laughs> exactly, literally, yeah. That's exactly how it was. There's pros and cons to both. And, yeah. uh, you know, there was absolutely no fear, which is a big positive. But in some ways, you know, you really don't know what you don't know at that age. Yeah, and, you're
0: uh, going to mess you uh, up. Yeah.
1: We would, we would have probably done a, a few things differently, including, you know, Me and Sam, who are not the best people at process in the world, trying to do payroll and pay contractors and things like that ourselves. You just think, why on earth did we do that for so long?
0: So what was it like the early days then? Was it just the two of you back bedroom type story? Let us know what was the early days like.
1: Yeah, so my my parents had a uh, home office. We were very much like, we don't want to work at home. We want to be together. And luckily enough, my parents had an office in the bedroom of their house that they were no longer using hmm. and uh, we said yeah no problem we'll be there for 6 months and they were like great come in It'd be great to have you around and we kind of went in there worked every day quite long hours ate them out of house and home didn't pay any didn't pay any electricity bills <laughs> they w- they wouldn't take any money for i think we used to get them a turkey at christmas yeah, and that yeah. was our that was our rent <laughs> for the year but we ended up with the the financial crash in 2008 we ended up being there about 4 or 5 years in wow so i still don't think we ever paid any rent so yeah sorry mum and dad for that but, uh, <laughs> they, they got they got a few turkeys out of us
0: they got to do you know what they got to see you that's that's part of it though isn't it i think when you when you move out and you fly the nest parents just want to see you like they just want to be around you so i bet they loved it what did you hire anyone though, or did would you just keep it you and sam for the first four or five years
1: yeah, we had like uh, we recruited my sister for a little while, so she was kind of in another another room, just uh, doing some delivery stuff for us, and that was kind of on a flexible basis. And then we had someone lined up to join us in two thousand and nine, and then I think the same week, like Lehman Brothers went under, mm-hmm. and we were like, "Oh, maybe we should just hold off a little bit." So we kind of just said, "Look, we're going to postpone it for a little while," and. Uh, the markets that we were dealing with in the UK, it was like somebody turned off a tap. Yeah, we'd never we'd never experienced any of the bad times. So again, this is one of the naiveties of youth. We we'd never worked in a we'd never worked in a recession before. Yeah, uh, we didn't really understand what was happening because we'd never been in a situation where our clients didn't need us. Uh, yeah, yeah, the market yeah. the, the market that we were in which was UK built environment design was completely decimated. So uh, that was when we had to to start looking overseas. So we started growing the, the business base in the Middle East, Dubai, Qatar, oh. Bahrain uh, and essentially exclusively worked in that market from between 2010 to 2013. Uh, and then I think we took our first official person on like with a proper contracts and got a proper office in 2012. Right.
0: So that was bang on ten years ago then.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Had you made a good good living at that point? Had you, you know, had you two enjoyed the kind of lean nature of the business and obviously tough market, but must have had some pretty low overheads as well.
1: Yeah, we were incredibly boring to be honest, and <laughs> we were we we the fees were really really good, especially when we were we were doing big contracts overseas. But we were, it was always let's put money aside for a rainy day. So we were paying ourselves relatively little amounts of money and, you know, we we were still, we were doing okay, but it was really about building that war chest and keep sort of putting the coffers away. And because we didn't know when the next financial crisis was going to come. So we were actually really reserved. We worked a lot of hours and it was a big treat for ourselves to finish at three o'clock on the Friday and go to the pub. So yeah, we were still we were very disciplined in what we were doing at all that time, and I guess building the financial foundations for the future, which means we can, you know, do what we're doing now. So that the footings of the business were really kind of made over those years.
0: Quick message from our sponsor today: Um, these guys are known as Talent Ticker, and if you're looking for a way to stay ahead of your competition in 2022, Talent Ticker are here to help. So for at the end of this month, throughout March, any. HOXO listeners who request a demo of TalentTicker will receive a free personalized list of leads to help them get a jump on the rest of the year. This is the world's first recruitment intelligence platform. It provides you with an accurate contact information for passive candidates and matches them with companies looking to hire. What is unique about TalentTicker is that they predict when a company will be hiring based on um, moves in the market, conversation with investors, all these different things that they have access to, all these data points whilst giving you the projected hiring roles and contract, uh, sorry, contact information for the right people, the hiring managers. Any recruiter uses this tool will be calling the right person at the right time for the right reason. So don't wait, go ahead and head over to get.talentticker.ai forward slash hoxo. The link is in the podcast comments and claim your free leads today. Go and get that and, uh, and make the most of Q2. So then, 2012. What happened next when you got sick? You, you're out of the house. You're out of the family. Was your sister still involved? No, no,
1: she wasn't by then. I think she uh, she probably had enough of me. Uh, so uh, yeah, she wasn't involved anymore. So she went on to do very well in kind of uh, software sales. So right. yeah, no. First, just took a graduate straight from from uni. Uh, someone we didn't know. Uh, he's literally only just left us about a year ago. Actually, so he was wow. with us. He was with us ten years. Uh, and then we just sort of slowly and steadily grew from there. Really, uh, yeah, t- t- took people on and-, and grew the business, I guess, until we-, till we got to where we are today. So, what what was the
0: place you moved to? It wasn't like what you are today. What was the? the, the no, offer? it was.
1: Oh, it was uh, it was cheap and uh, rough and ready. Is probably the best way to best way to put it. But it had uh, it was in an old converted mill. Yeah. The, the best thing about it that really attracted us to there was the fact they had lots of different offices available so it's a bit like a really old fashioned we work right. so we could we started off in a four man office and then they moved us into a an eight man and then they had lots of flexibility and i think we grew to about 30 people there maybe uh and then we just took over the car park and realised, yeah, it's uh, time for us to grow. We've moved out. We've grown up a little bit now to, you know, where we are now. So, yeah, it was good. It was a really good place to start because the overheads were low and we were able to expand without too much time. To you always, things and things did about- you
0: always go down the graduate model with talent? Did you always go for that junior trainee model?
1: Yeah, I'd like to say we had a strategy about it, but our our uh, internal hiring has been, uh, I'd say, variable over the years. Uh always try to look for really good young talent but then you know as recruiters we do get attracted to those shiny new things sometimes when someone mm-hmm. comes with a, a cv that's a bit too good to be true uh yeah. we normally we normally took those people on as well who, who didn't always work out quite quite as well as uh, someone we were training ourselves so it's been a bit mixed and it's helped shape our hiring plan strategy that we've done today so we, we've had a mix of both over the years
0: right and then look the, the serious nature of this episode was what we, well, I want to talk about. Is Obviously, Sam's no longer with us, your business partner, which is just heartbreaking, and uh, it's not something you expect, right? So first, my what, what question – we'll go into the story, but my question was when you started off the business with Sam, what was the vision? Like, together, you've got – because I remember me and Amma didn't really have a fucking vision, right? We just were like, we think this is going to work. We didn't have a clue. headcount, size, locations, like the way we are now, five years later – remote business, multiple, you know, South Africa, UK, all this stuff. I couldn't have told you I wanted to do that. Did you always know you wanted to grow a business? What what were you and him setting out to do?
1: I think a part of it was to try to create the environment that we found when we joined the the corporate business, when it was a bit smaller, a really good, you know, somewhere that people loved coming to work every day. Mm. Obviously, massively, massively ambitious for the company. We knew we always wanted to grow the business. It was never going to be a lifestyle business it was always something we were passionate about about growing to say there was any kind of strategy about that from two 25 year olds would be uh, a bit of a stretch that's developed over the years but yeah it was it was very much about being a brilliant place to work and growing something that that's meanable uh, meaningful and yeah a, a place that's got the respect of its clients and candidates as well that has always been important to us so tell us what tell
0: us a story when it comes to sam so he was diagnosed with, with cancer in the past. So tell us, what was the, where were you at the point? Like, where was the business? And can you tell us a story of the lead up to that? What happened?
1: Yeah, it was 2014. And we've been, I guess, in official offices for two, two. years, probably yeah. two, three years at that point. And yeah, he got sort of out of the blue of nowhere. Very fit, healthy guy. Uh, Be the last person you'd expect it to happen to. And I guess, yeah, he, he got diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer. How did that, was,
0: how, how did it, if you don't mind me asking, how did he, why did he get checked out? Like, what was, what was the issue?
1: Well, we kind of like two normal best mates, really. We sort of, you don't necessarily talk about each other's personal problems or no. ailments that much, really. We just used to come to work and get on with it. But I remember him saying to me, if, he said, this is a bit, a bit of a funny conversation, mate, but have you ever had piles before? Yeah. And I was like... I don't I don't think so and he was like because the doctor thinks I've got them but they're really bloody painful and I was like I thought hmm, look this, yeah. is, this is a bit strange it's not like Sam at all to uh
0: you it know he just, he
1: just 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 got on with everything and I remember saying you know go and get it checked out if you think it's not right and uh went back and forth to the GP quite a few times with stomach pains and but we're just quite resilient, I think, as human beings. I think you have to be in the job we do. Right, okay. And he never, he never really complained. But I think three or four times of going back to the, the GP with, with symptoms that he was having, he finally got uh, referred. And then obviously he had a scan. And then they realised that there was, a, I think, a 14 centimetre tumour that had grown out of his bowel and attached to his spine.
0: Wow. So what can you remember when, when he told you the news?
1: Yeah, so my uh, my son was born at the same sort of time, and uh, it was a tricky period. We didn't have an easy easy birth with him, and I think Sam wasn't maybe being as communicative as he could have been at that period. So I kind of twigged something was up, and yeah. uh, I went around to see him. I think a few days after my son was born, and uh, yeah, it was clear that clear that something wasn't right, and then kind of got the, the news out of him.
0: All oh, right, so you actually had to ask him, and he wasn't like he didn't just bring you up. You didn't want to ruin your moment with your son, I imagine, either, did he?
1: Exactly, we'd had a bit of a tricky sort of emergency C-section and, and that kind of thing. So we were going through our own own stuff. Obviously, I knew he had this scan going on, and he was worried about it. So I think it was uh, he was trying to protect me, but then I was thinking, you know, you've got we've got to talk about this at some point. And uh, yeah, I think I popped round to see him, and it was it was pretty obvious it wasn't good news. Wow, and what? What was he, did he have a child or a wife at that time? Yeah, it's his boy, so uh, Finney would have been maybe four, uh, no, maybe, yeah, two or three at the time, pretty young. Uh, so uh, yeah, obviously very, very challenging.
0: So what do, what do you, I know, I, I literally can't even imagine, like what do you guys do at that point? Cause you've got a business, you've got wives, you've got children. You know, you've got a lot of responsibility now. You're not 25. You hear something like this. What's the first thing that you guys spoke about and and, and actually did as a result of that news?
1: So I think it's just lucky to be the people we were. We're trying to be as practical about it as we can. You know, you almost treat everything like a project. And once you process the emotion of it, it's like, right, let's look at the facts. What's the scenario? And trying to almost approach it like a a business task. How can we be as practical as possible about it? What are the steps? What do we need to do? Luckily, he had private health cover, which was incredible, and that they looked after him really well. But, you know, the reality was he was going to need to undergo a a massive, massive operation to to deal with it. But I think first there was, uh, I can't remember if he had chemo and radio first, but a lot of treatment to make him kind of operable. And then a, a huge operation. So we just planned it out. You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about work? How are we going to how are we going to face the challenges? And kind of try to break it down into smaller tasks, which is obviously difficult with all the emotions flying around at the time.
0: Did he did he have anyone to talk to? Did he have an outlet? Did he have like a? Obviously, you might have been that person. Did he have any kind of like coaches or support that he could?
1: It, it very you know, we're very lucky to have a you know really close group of friends and his family who are you know incredible but I just don't think at the time if you turn the clock back to twenty fourteen, I just don't think that kind of thing was as prevalent then you no, know I, don't I, think you, I, I think we're all a lot better now about speaking about mental health and when we're suffering and you know, getting some external support from people. But back then it just didn't, maybe it was our age, but it just didn't seem as like a thing to do. You know, you kind of stiff up a lip, speak to your friends and family, but, you know, we, we weren't necessarily even aware of any external help like, you know, we definitely would be now. And, yeah. you know, certainly used it myself to, to good, for good reason.
0: Mm. So what what? how did you manage, did he, did he stay in the business? Did he take time out? Because I remember meeting Sam, I think it was about 20... Eight, 17, 18. So this was nearly four years later. And I remember he wasn't, he came in to meet us, but I don't think he was as active as you were in the business. But what, how did that next couple of years evolve in terms of his involvement and how you kept the business wheels going?
1: Yeah, we, he was always, you know, always massively involved mentally. Yeah. Uh, you know, even back then, WhatsApp, so many WhatsApps every day with him. But he, he only was in physically when he could be. You know, obviously the, the chemo, he I can't even remember how many bouts of chemo he ended up having, radiotherapy as well. And then that there was several major surgeries that he had. But he was he was still involved in the business all the time and always a, a, a great sounding board, but obviously limited physically as to how much he could be here. And there were periods over, you know, the the last sort of seven years where he was in the office quite a bit and quite frequently and you'd almost know nothing was wrong with him uh, and then obviously periods where he was having more intensive treatment where he couldn't be in the office as much so uh, but it was great you know the way we sort of dealt with it between our, ourselves was you know I would I would run a lot of the stuff and we had, luckily got really good support of a great team here and Sam would be involved in all the big decisions and be here when he could but he was always you know fully focused and committed which was great
0: yeah. So amazing to think in a way, it's probably probably nice to have something to think about when you're going through something like that. You know, you know, if you, if you didn't have a business or you know, if you, you were off work and you just, oh, what you just think about the worst case scenario all day, wouldn't you? Whereas if you've got, you know, challenges could arise in every day and hope, hopefully it could give you something else to concentrate on, I suppose. Um, what, so, was it when did it did he ever over that period of time was it always terminal was it up and down the new, well, no how
1: was it the, was 12? it was I think when he, he he got diagnosed it was something like uh, there was basically less chance of him being here in five years than there was him being here when he got diagnosed and I wasn't sure if that was adjusted for his age and you know how physically fit he was because the guy was an absolute machine. Yeah, but there was all he was always sort of overcoming those odds, if that makes sense. Mm. So there was always a new challenge, and you know the cancer spread, went to his lungs, and uh, he he overcame that. So he's always kind of beating the next thing that was put in front of him. Mm. So I guess there was always a bit of a feeling with everyone that knew him. It doesn't necessarily matter what the next challenge is; he will just beat that one as well.
0: Mm. And then, when did it? When did it get to the point where it was, it, you know, it, it was no longer going to be that case when it got too, got too much for him? Was it last year uh, or the year before?
1: Yeah, no, it was. So in my head, it was kind of never. <laughs> you yeah. Know, I uh, you can do that. So I've been yeah, doing some work on the different stages and the processes that you go through when things like that it's happened. And I think, you know, I was stuck at the first stage of grief, which is denial for, you know, well, a very, very long time. And, you know, he moved into a hospice at the end. And I think I was still expecting him to, to come out of there. So mm. it, was, uh, it was a challenge. And I don't think I personally ever really accepted it. Some people accept it a bit sooner. So mid, mid, uh, mid last year, so 2021, uh, we had a, uh, he organised a surprise birthday for his, his wife, which was amazing. But he was he was pretty poorly there, and that was in the summer summer last year. And I think you know a lot of people kind of clocked there, and he's uh, he's really not doing well. He's not, he wasn't well enough to stay over, so he just used to come for the day and
0: uh, yeah.
1: then go back. But I think then summertime last year, people were realising, you know, he's he's in a he's in a pretty serious way at the moment.
0: And how was his wife through that period, and and your relationship with her to to talk.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we've always had a really good relationship, We're really good friends as well. But I think looking back, I was more, more focused on Sam and uh probably could have been a bit better in in supporting other people as well. But I think my focus I spoke to Sam every day and I guess looking after him and looking after their family and looking after the business was kind of a way of showing support to, yeah. to everyone. But yeah, she was amazing, very, very strong and uh yeah, has had to deal with a, a hell of a lot and looking after a small boy as well.
0: I bet. I mean, it's just, it, like I said at the start, it's heartbreaking. When, when did he actually pass away? Because I, remember, I remember your LinkedIn post and I remember my heart just dropped, literally. I sent it around the business. I was like, we used to work with these guys and, you know, um, genuinely just spoke to Ammo. I rang Ammo straight away and I was like, you know, did you see that? It's crazy. Um, makes you really think. What, when, when was it? Can you remind me?
1: Yeah, September. So uh, early September uh, last year, and uh, even though he'd been in a hospice for a number of weeks and they looked after him amazingly, I went went to see him in there. I was still massively at that stage of denial. You yeah. know, I was uh, laughing and joking in, in there and having a laugh with the, with the doctors and nurses that were coming in. And yeah, that he was he was clearly you know really not very well. And you know, I probably wasn't listening to to what they were saying. Didn't want to hear what they were saying. And uh, yeah, just just passed at the, at the beginning of September. And
0: can you remember what the last thing you said to him was? And last meeting. You had? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So the uh, he he wasn't his his communication was fairly limited at that point. But the uh, they had a new nurse that came in, and it was the first time I think she'd seen Sam. And they always check, you know, who's in the room with them. And uh, she said, "You know, is it okay to sort of speak freely? Because it was just me and him in there." And I said, "Oh yeah, don't worry. He's my he's my partner. Uh, we can say anything in front of, in front of each other." And he had not said anything, and he just started laughing and said, uh, "No, no, no, it's not true." But carry on. Yeah. on I think. So it's wow. good to even to be, even to be able to have a bit of humour at that last moment. In last.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then how how did you? Can you remember where you were and and how you how you received the news that he finally passed?
1: yeah so uh there's a marks and spencer's not far away and it was my daughter's birthday on the oh, wow. on the day on the fourth is that the child that you had at the start or is that a different no child? so yes yeah, she, no she's uh nine so she was born in uh 20 right. 2012 so a couple of years before but we yeah. were in there so Accardo hadn't delivered a couple of the items for her birthday breakfast on that morning so we were at marks and she's quite particular and uh we were at Marks and Spencer's, going to buy some croissants for our breakfast, mm-hmm. and we we're waiting at eight o'clock in the morning for to get in there. Yeah, literally. I remember getting the call, and uh, yeah, I knew, I knew what it was straight away.
0: Was it his wife.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: I just, I can't even imagine. Like, I just think about me and Amma, Like, we've been best mates since the first day of uni. We run a business together. It's, it's so similar. Um, how can you like? How did you? not how did you feel, I can imagine how you felt, but how did the next, like, did you, did, were you, con? well, it's a weird question I'm trying to ask, but do you remember, like, were you conscious after that or did you kind of almost lose yourself for a while? Because I've seen people at that moment where they find out something so dramatic and it, it's as if they, like, leave their body for a bit. It's like they're not, they're just not in the room.
1: Yeah, so it was to totally, the fact it was my daughter's birthday. We had loads of family coming over that afternoon and, we decided to go ahead with that. Yeah. And that was literally exactly how you, uh, how you describe it. It was, it was an out-of-body experience. I was there, but I was almost like watching watching the whole thing on a, on a TV video or something because uh, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't present at all. But it was, it was the right thing to do in hindsight. And we kind of got through that day. And then the next day, we're, we're lucky to have a, a good, close circle of friends and uh, all got together. And uh, that was a lot more a lot easier, being able to be p- with people who were, you know, feeling the same emotions. Yeah. But I can, you can definitely, you can picture, picture the stages of grief and uh, the, the denial for me quickly quickly turned to anger. So I was very aware of that. You know, I was quite angry for a long period of time. Really? And yeah, really, really angry. In what
0: way? Uh, like just snappy with people or what, how did it come out?
1: Uh <laughs> probably just wanted to throttle anyone I saw for, for quite a period of time. Yeah, I was I was fairly, uh, you know, a few maybe minor road rage incidents and uh, I had to lay off, you know, I, I do kickboxing quite frequently, had to lay off that for a, a couple of weeks and uh, just while I sorted the anger issues out a little bit. But it's, it's quite natural, you know, looking back, yeah. you can see it's just, a, you know, second stage of grief, processing that anger and dealing with it in a certain way. Uh, but... Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty intense for a period of time, and I came back into work after a couple of days as well. And maybe not the best decision in hindsight, but you know, uh, people probably picked up on it as well.
0: I bet. How did how did how did the business respond? Obviously, they would have been sad and etc. But how how did the team react in your own in your own words?
1: It was just as you can imagine. It was just really flat. So you know, I felt. Uh, a bit of a, a need to come in and, and g everyone up and and try and raise the spirits and lead from the front uh i think probably in hindsight could have shown a bit more more vulnerability yeah. and maybe you know my empathy wasn't great due to the anger so I, w- I was letting that cloud how i was but i think i could have been a bit more vulnerable but actually i you know decided to come in and lead from the front you know this is what sam would have wanted let's continue the business this way and uh it took a few weeks to get over it but then you know the the, the very lucky to have such a good team around me here and uh everyone rallied round and i guess after a few weeks of shock it was people were sort of slowly getting back into you know the acceptance phase of, of what's happened and uh you know went on to 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 hit some really good performances last year so uh yeah great credit credit to the whole team really yeah.
0: And that that's something I was thinking then, like, can you get, how did you feel about that? Like how, you've had your best year or whatever, but like you've lost your business partner. So like, can you, could you get excited or happy or could you, could you enjoy them any moments of, of the end of last year? Like were you able to go put it to one side and be like, this is what Sam wanted. We've done really well, you know?
1: Not so when I was in that angry stage, definitely not. When I was in the angry stage, I was like, you know, I can't be bothered with this anymore. Uh, you know i'll uh we'll sell the business we'll we'll do something yeah you know, just i had no no real yeah. interest in or drive to try and do anything but you know as i became a bit more aware of the emotions i'm like you know don't make any rash decisions let's uh let's chill out for a little bit and i think that's such a, a good way to be and having that perspective in hindsight was don't make any quick decisions now what you're feeling isn't normal you know sit with it and uh work through those stages of grief and then see how you come out and feel at the other end. But I'm ne- I've never been great for celebrating success anyway. It's definitely a big area of weakness. It's always, uh, always on to the next thing. And, you know, you, you sit in any of our board meetings, it's, like I mentioned, we have 44% year-on-year growth, which is, is pretty a pretty good result but it's it's five minutes on that and then you know how are we going to do the same again next year yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's, it's something something i'm working on and, and trying we to are trained
0: you know we're built that way in recruitment though like we're, we're bred a certain way like the, every firm every one of us have worked for pretty much had that same attitude didn't they like you you go out yeah. and get leathered for a day and enjoy something but you go straight back you make sure you're in on time the next day and you fucking move on and yeah i'm a, i'm exactly the same exactly the same um what interesting like when you start a business if you did
1: did you create a shareholders agreement with sam did you did you <laughs> we, we we did but again we're never the most good recruiters but uh, mm. generally pretty terrible at running a business and have picked it up gradually over the years fairly slowly but we did have that sort of stuff stuff in place and it was at the time, you're ticking a box.
0: Yeah, and I, I remember when we did it, and they were like, well, if one of you passes away, and I was a bit like, fucking a bit morbid. Like I was almost yeah. like, do you know what I mean? Like, fucking kill the mood, why don't you? But then you think that, you know, if that happens, there's a, there's a genuine, there's a, there's a situation that, like what has happened to the business in terms of the, the ownership and the share, if, as much as you can share about that? Because it's, you know, half the company is no longer there. What happens to that?
1: yeah so luckily you know we had all we had them we had them agreed properly proper shareholder agreements with solicitors and things like that but again paperwork's never always been our strongest uh strongest forte so a lot of sam and i's agreements were done on whatsapp or yeah, bet, uh, on, e- yeah. on email but luckily we both had a really really clear understanding of, of what was what was going to happen and also very lucky that you know sam's family you know Sam's wife's one of my best friends as well. So it's fortunate that you can have a really good open dialogue with them because if if we didn't and, you know, we weren't as close, it could be such a challenging situation. It it was difficult anyway because nobody really wants to talk about this sort of stuff, especially when the emotions are so so raw. But, you know, we had insurance cover in place that would cover a, a good amount of money and, you know, make sure that sam's family got a, a good pair which is, is gonna gonna help them but uh, yeah incredibly challenging and i definitely recommend to anyone it might be morbid and it might not seem like something you want to talk about but it is absolutely essential because we were two young fit healthy guys and it happened to us
0: it's literally like that you are the most traditional startup story in our sector right two great builders yeah. good mates crack on I, I could you know i'm working with 100 businesses just like like yourselves and you never think it'll be it'll be you you know no. um, but it could be and and you know i don't again i don't want it to be anyone in, in our sector and i hope it doesn't happen to anyone listening but i think it's important to to reevaluate your documentation and just think what would you want to happen and i imagine because you had a bit of time i mean we did, did you ever did you ever let yourselves talk about it like in the, the worst case scenario or was it always with sam's kind of you know i'll beat this mindset did you always put that to one side is we're not even going to go there because you are going to survive this
1: yeah i think before kind of you know with the way sam's mind were and mine i was you know probably more guilty of it than than him in some ways of you know there was there wasn't much vulnerability between the two of us to be honest with you it was always Mm -hmm. like how are we Mm -hmm. going to beat this what are we going to do but before kind of each mate he had several major surgeries he you know pretty much lost the whole of his left lung as well uh and before each kind of major surgery, we would always sit down and say, just in case anything happens, just so we're clear, you know, this this will be the plan. And it was like really, really good. But unfortunately, as, as recruiters, not much of that was perfectly documented. <laughs> so a lot of it was on emails and, uh, you know, not necessarily legally binding agreements, but we always had a very clear understanding of what, what the plan would be. So I guess all those major milestones, we allowed ourselves to just talk about what the situation would be going forward, which was, I guess just a nice bit of comfort for him as well.
0: Yeah. I think it's really special that you've got that relationship with his wife because that would be the biggest challenge, wouldn't it? Imagine she was not on the same page and, you know, you just don't want to think about that, but it's amazing. And, And you mentioned she's coming to work for the business now.
1: Yeah. So, uh, next month she's joining. us finally managed to twist her arm which is kind of nothing to do with the uh the shares or even Sam's legacy it's just more to do with you know we really need some help at a leadership level and she's a very very talented person so yeah very lucky to have her join the business next month
0: that's amazing and you'll spend more time with her as well how how are you feeling so we're now six months ish past the the point of, of him of him moving on how are you, where where would you at, say you're at now with the whole grief stages, et cetera?
1: So I think, you know, in, in in terms of Sam, like in quite a good place now, I've been lucky enough to, you know, we spoke about reaching out to people. I've been lucky enough to, I got recommended to uh, speak to a lady, Rhonda. Uh, Rhonda D'Ambrosio. Is, yeah. And she's, she's kind of been really helpful in just, I guess, the quality of my thinking and, and the process and compartmental compartmentalizing things. Mm. Uh, but that's not to say I don't have bad days, but I think if you look at stages four and five of the of the grief process, you've got depression and acceptance. So hopefully I'm, I'm mostly in the acceptance phase now, which doesn't mean you don't still feel, you know, feel sadness and feel the pain, but you kind of understand where we're at and you're you coming to terms with it. And it's still, you know, the strangest things will, will set you off, like, you know, going to Marks and Spencer's is still, I bet,
0: i bet yeah and there'll be but, music or there'll be sounds or words or pictures or there's so many things that can trigger um do you ever feel do you ever feel guilty that you're still there still doing it because I, I think that's how that's the first emotion i imagine feeling if it happened with me and my business partner like you know i'd feel like it should you know why him and not me kind of thing
1: yeah no guilt's not necessarily been something that uh luckily i I felt too much i've done a lot of reflection on you know what would i have done differently uh fortunately i haven't had you know too much guilt but definitely i think vulnerability has just been a huge learning curve and could have been so much more vulnerable which is something i've tried to work on a lot and i don't again think it comes necessarily naturally to to people in our roles that much and it didn't come naturally to sam either but i thought if I can take a lesson out of it, it's to try and be a bit more open and a bit more vulnerable in the future. Because if I'd have been more vulnerable with him or with others with what we were going through, I think that that might have helped him be more vulnerable as well.
0: Yeah. I think you've done the best you can do, though, mate. I think, I, I, like, for when I met you guys and, you know, you were so positive, even he was, you know, he's cracking jokes and he was right in the middle of it all. I just think you gave off a vibe like, I don't know you you made the rooms feel good you there was no like I, I didn't feel negative like there was like a drain of energy or you know I was worried about what we were saying or you know you. I think you've I think you've managed it from what I saw incredibly well um and I, I think reflection is important but again I'm going through my journey with my coach as well and you know I've been through a lot in the last few years and you've got to be kind to yourself I think learning for the future but you 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 know you got to accept the past and 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 think right what what do I do now rather than I wish I'd have changed X because it's literally not reality is it and that it's coming back to reality I think that anxiety is is fear of the future depression um, can be often living in the past and and thinking about what you've been through but whenever you bring yourself back to reality to today to the present moment there's not too much you can feel other than like what's going on right and if you stick to reality that's what i always try and do now is just focus on reality and not the what if scenario which my brain naturally wants to go to every fucking day try and stop it or just try and stop it
1: yeah i think we've been quite lucky with that and it's trying to uh you know again sam's wife josie as well incredibly positive considering the impact it's had on her life and it's about trying to you know, remember and celebrate the good things and make sure that all the positive stuff that Sam was about is is continued and not not forgotten. And that's a good way to try and help remember. Not not looking back in a negative way, but actually just in a positive way. We've got a you know charity football match next month, which I'm absolutely crapping myself about trying to play ninety minutes without pulling a hamstring. Uh Sam for Brit. No, no, no. We've got a... Uh, it's uh, just a, near here, uh, a local place, but it's our old football team, Highfield football team coming against, right. against another team, raising money for charity. And, oh, charity? Uh, if
0: we in a Chelsea football match, Was that what you played? playing? Oh, no, no, oh.
1: <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, stuff like we're doing the Three Peaks again this year that we did with Sam previously and just trying to be positive and, hmm. you know, remember all the good stuff that Sam taught us and, and use his legacy in a way to, you know, create a positive impact going forward.
0: How's his, how's his boy? How's Finley?
1: Yeah, like considering everything that's happened, phenomenal. Uh, we went skiing with him a few weeks ago and uh, yeah, he's he's just like any other 10-year-old boy. He's uh, way too fast a skier to keep up with, which is slightly terrifying considering he's got no fear. But uh, considering everything that, that's happened to him, you know, he's still banging in goals every weekend for his football team. Uh doing very well at school and yeah, in- incredible really when you consider anything that's happened.
0: Do you feel like a responsibility to look after him and his w- and, and his wife now, like the as a almost, you know, a second father figure, if you like?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, she does a, a very good job of taking on both roles, but yeah, I think trying to, you know, make sure to try and watch him play football and take an interest is in what he's doing is something that comes quite naturally and, mm-hmm. I think something that me and Sam spoke about before that was important to him. So yeah, that's, that, that will be a big part going forward as well.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I think what you've done, the way you do it, the way you, the way you're able to talk about it is incredible, mate. I don't, I don't think, honestly, I I can't even imagine being able to put myself in your shoes. Um, so if we take ourselves to now, then we're 2022 We're March, it's fucking sunny outside, which is rare, you know, okay. that's positive. Um, what what does the future look like when you look in now at, and we go back to the business, where does Highfield go? What are you trying, does, and, and how does what's happened f- change or impact in any way how you lead the business moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think definitely, We you know, once I'd got out of that angry stage and uh, thought, oh, I'll just pack it all in, it's, it's changed the, the mindset a fair bit. And I think even with when Sam was ill, the the focus was enjoying the journey a lot more, making sure that was always really really important, not just being too focused on that uh, that end destination. I think again as recruiters, we're naturally incredibly ambitious people. That that hasn't changed at all. We've not grown even more, mm-hmm. but it's making sure we're not just looking to trying to get somewhere, but trying to create a life that. Is enjoyable and, you know, I love coming to work every day, lucky enough to work with some amazing people. And the, the focus of the business has changed as well. When when Sam was ill, uh, we were always running the business with the handbrake on, slightly, I think for two aspects. One, because, you know, you, you want there to be a good role for Sam to return to. We don't want mm-hmm. to hire loads of uh, other brilliant leaders and Sam come back into the business and be like, what, what am I going to do, mate? Thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. Uh, but also just maybe lowering that level of risk level uh, in case something like COVID happens and we needed to get through and have good, I guess, good financial reserves to, to get us through any more difficult times. So I think now we've had some amazing people join the business in the last six months. Uh, we've got some great people, including Josie, joining the company. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit like the handbrake's off now. We know what we need to do to grow the business. We've got some really good foundations in place, so it's. Uh, I think the next few years, the the growth will be be fairly ambitious.
0: And you mentioned there, you know, it's about building a life you love while whilst working, right? What does that look like for you? Like, what's the, what 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 has to be part of it for you to be like, you know, what this is what, this is what I want to be doing. This is how I want to live my life.
1: I think for me it's about creating opportunities for for other people you yeah, know having a place that people love coming to work is the number one our, our values are all about trust and we spent the last probably 12 18 months during covid working on that internally uh we we had some lessons to learn you know we, we weren't doing things as well as we, as we could have been and i think covid was just such a good learning opportunity for so many people and We've got the culture into a really, really strong place. We introduced a four-day week last year, which uh, I can imagine Sam's probably still not that happy about. But, uh... <laughs> how, do you,
0: how, do you, how are you running that? What's your, like, what, how are you making it happen? What's the plan for
1: you? It's just really focusing on outputs, really focus, like, you know, holding people accountable to the outputs and, uh, you know, go and live your life, like. Do what you want to do. So Friday is like our flexible day. Some people still come into the office if they want to. You know, the recruiters they're driven. Yeah, uh, I can get a bit of time to work on the business, which I love, rather than the the uh, hundred miles an hour of the uh, the normal working day. Having that bit of quiet time when there's just not so many inbound distractions has been really, really important in trying to grow the business. That thinking time, I always used to feel a little bit guilty about having it. felt like I was slacking off I am no, ex-
0: literally exactly like you. Like, I think we're all the fucking same. <laughs> yeah. Every time I have these interviews, I still have the moments where if I'm not on a call with someone, I'm not working. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, where the fuck? I own the fucking company. I can do what I want. But yeah. I have so many moments where I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. And then when I'm looking at numbers or strategy, I'm like, it's not real work, Sean. Get yourself out there. Go and fucking sell something. Go and meet someone.
1: <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Exactly, exactly the same, but now I've tried to, uh, I, I do understand how important and how valuable that is to the business now, and uh, yeah, just very lucky, you've just got so many good people around the business that I can, I can that can help me now. That's so is it like, that's the it's like almost thing. like
0: a flexible day, the Friday, if people, people can have it off with no questions asked, but if they want to work, they can, what if like a, a job gets called in, is there like a, do you have to create like protocols for certain scenarios that make sure the business doesn't let clients down, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we're all about customer service, so there will never be any drop-off in service on a Friday for anyone. If you're uh, if you're playing golf on a Friday, then, you know, you're expected to take calls from clients if they come in. But if you're genuinely, you know, you're at a beef at pool party and you can't take any calls or you're probably not in the state <laughs> to be taking any calls, as long as you've got someone, you're covered up with someone who's going to say, look uh, – if I'm doing this today, can you just shadow me, and then yeah. I'll return the favour? It's all about trust, really, and treating people like grown-ups. If you, if you empower people to do a good job, they, they tend to pay you back and then and some. I love that.
0: I absolutely love that. And what what have you seen in terms of results of productivity since bringing that in?
1: Productivity is phenomenal. Uh, I'm always uh, to pinch a phrase from James Osborne: uh, "positively discontent," though. Yeah, uh, yeah, he
0: said that on the podcast here with us.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm always like that, you know. Uh, i Our non-exec, I sit down in a board meeting and we'll have had the best quarter ever. And uh, our non-exec will say to us, you're always slightly pissed off, Liam. <laughs> and uh, it's just because I always think there's, there's more opportunity. And at the moment, you know, you can see on LinkedIn, every recruitment business is breaking records. There's nothing mm. unique about that at the moment. For me, it's how much are we outperforming the market? How much better are we? Are we just, you know... Are we doing well because everybody's doing well and the market's growing? How much better are we internally than we were before? So pro- the productivity's uh definitely increasing. But I bore everyone internally with my favorite saying at the moment, which is uh the best time to fix the roof is when the sun's shining. So let's let's not let's not rest on our laurels that everybody's breaking records at the moment. Everyone's mm-hmm. You know, our productivity per head's better than it's ever been. Every quarter's a record, but actually how much better are we getting internally? How much more do our clients trust us? Are we getting better and not just bigger? So really focusing on that at the moment. And then when the next COVID pandemic uh, recession, whatever comes, you know, we're going to have so many more better relationships with our clients. Our business is going to be so much better internally that we'll be much more robust to deal with these sort of things in the future.
0: Yeah. I love that. And uh, I, I, again, I think I've been through a journey recently as well. And me and i are looking at our business and thinking about what do we want to be famous for? What do we want to do? You know, why are we doing it? And you can get so fixated on end goals that you forget about yeah. the day to day. And we've made some changes that feel really good this year. Like even from a health perspective, like, um, I think with us, on the marketing side, it's hard to, I want to do the four day, I'd love to, but you basically slicing 20% of your business away because it's, we yeah. sell hours, we sell hours of time. <laughs> so if you don't do Fridays, you're like, well, I've just slice 20% off the business. Um, but we, we will work out a way of, we, I think we only do about half day Fridays anyway. Um, what what I've done is like, the I've, I posted about it literally this morning on LinkedIn is, is the health challenge stuff where... Last year, I got so fixated on the business, I forgot about myself and what I wanted from it. And now, like I run every morning, and then I've got a two-hour window, twelve till two, which I either go to the gym or go for a sauna or walk the dogs. Or, and I genuinely don't work. Like I'm fucking offline, and it's it's been a game changer. Like I'm still really productive eight till twelve and two till six, and then if I need to be afterwards, but. I protect those the hour in the morning, two at lunch. It's three whole hours a day that no, no fucking is getting older me, and uh, I love it. Like it's mad. Like have you thought about obviously in reflection of life is fucking short. You more than anyone can can contest to that now. Have you got any words of wisdom or advice or anything that's kind of you've changed or thought that would be useful to other recruitment owners that are going through this journey? That you know they might not have the same level of of um, what you've been through, but we could still learn some of those real lessons that you've, you've picked up.
1: Yeah, I think about it, it's about working out what you want for yourself. What what does good look like for you? Not good on Instagram or yeah. to be able to try and paint a picture of some amazing life that you're having because you're trying to compete with somebody yeah. else, you know. Comparisons, the theft of joy. So, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you you only really want to be competing with yourself. And I I don't really look at our competition. I'm never that fussed about what they're doing. I just want to be better than we were last week, last month, last year. So, work out what that looks like to you, and then make sure you create a life in your business that that you want. Make sure that you know you're the most important person in the business. So, make sure when you're coming into work, you're adding value. And you're enjoying the things that you do because I don't think enough of us sit down to, to really look and reflect at what we should be doing. And the Fridays have just been great for that. And again, it's like we're going back to that thinking time isn't cheating time, it's probably the most important time of the week. And similarly to you, I have my own routines every day that I stick to that enabled me to be a better husband, father, boss, colleague, all the rest of it. And I used to think that was selfish. I used to think it was selfish having my own time. But actually, it helps everyone else around me. If I can be the best person, you know, that I can be mentally and physically, everyone else benefits. So it's trying just, just to just get comfortable with the fact that it's not selfish.
0: 100%. Like even this morning. So I'm now living in a house with my partner, two kids, two dogs, right? Transformed in 12 months of my life. But going out for a run, getting back at 7.15 when they're, you know, having breakfast and and it's two, you know, seven and eight year old, two dogs, it's carnage. Like it's genuine carnage, getting them to put their shoes on, getting them to brush their teeth. Like it's hilarious, but the pe- I feel way more patient after the run. If I don't go on a run, I feel automatically I'm a little bit agitated because I'm already thinking, right, I'm on calls at eight or whatever. And, you know, I feel like that I need those things to bring me down to a position where I'm, I'm better to be around. Like without a doubt, Um Liam. I want to say thank you first and foremost, right, for sharing this. Because I remember I asked you a while ago, and it just wasn't. It was too. It was too. I just said, oh, well, I remember saying to you, look, when you're ready, I, I wanted, I wanted to tell the story because I think it will, it will help a lot of people, and I think you've been incredibly brave to do this. I'm not sure I could do it. How I'm still you know. not sure?
1: I'm still not sure I'm ready now.
0: <laughs> well you know what, I think the industry will, will, will thank you. And, you know, you know, the, the support in this industry is incredible. That's why I love it so much. The people you, you've you surrounded yourself with in the TRN and through Ronda and, and hopefully the people that listen to this show, you know, they'll get behind you and, and they'll support you in every way possible. Um, thank you for everything that you've said and for what you've done. And, and I genuinely, you know, I've got no doubt you're going to achieve everything you achieve and that you'll, you know, the business will will flourish um i'd love to get you back on again in in maybe a year's time and see where we are in a year and because i reckon there'll be so many more learnings in this year for you and for the business and you'll probably give us another level of wisdom that perhaps you is too raw now um if you're open to that i'd love it
1: yeah sure definitely Um,
0: and if anyone wanted to just reach out and say hello and ask you any questions or whatever you open to that um, if they message you on linkedin
1: absolutely you know particularly if anyone's been through anything similar or you know I'm more than happy to to share the experience and see if we can help other people as well
0: thank you mate you're an absolute legend and um we'll definitely we'll definitely host that that episode in the future but in the meantime stay safe and and keep keep doing the amazing things you do thanks mate appreciate it thank you as always for listening to today's show i truly truly hope that you got value from it That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future, and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Oxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So, we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video, podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week. That's live on LinkedIn. I'll see you soon.